podcast. I'll be your host today. There's a number of stories going on this week. You know, one one thing I want to say is that I never, I, I'm on a schedule where I do this once a week, but what happens is, and lots of times is I'm always hesitant to do it because I'll spend a lot of time trying to find a good story and then I have trouble. I find some things, but nothing really that I can sink my teeth into, and, you know, and then I'll wait or I'll do mine. And then the next day, all of a sudden there's all this breaking news and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then by the time the next week comes, that's all old news. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about that. I need to find something fresher than something that happened you know, now a week ago. Um, and I guess I just thought, I guess I could put out more broadcasts. You know, I could do a, a special edition or something when there's something new, but it's just always one of the struggles that I have is like, I'm always hesitant to go and record. Cause I'm like, what if I record? And then later that day and then tomorrow something big comes out and then people go to listen to my pod- podcast and I don't even talk about it. I'm like, you know, what's the relevance of this thing? You know, so I'm always nervous, um, but I think I got some pretty good ones today. One thing I wanted to start with is, of course, we all know the media. There, you know, you know how I feel about the media. We all know how the media is, and they're double standard. I mean, we've talked about that for for years, uh, or on here for the past year, and then I've talked about it for years. It's bothered me, but. Now, of course, Joe Biden um, is continuing the practice that actually wasn't even started under Donald Trump. It was started under Barack Obama of having those kids in cages on the border. Of course, as you well know, that there was not a peep ushered by the mainstream press when Barack Obama was was putting kids in these cages. Then Donald Trump continued the practice and all hell broke loose. I mean, everyone was freaking out. And and true, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't, honestly, I'll tell you, I didn't know that the kids were being put in cages under Obama because the press didn't report it. And it's not something I really studied. I didn't really study the immigration policy of Barack Obama. Um, it's It's just not, it wasn't an issue that, I knew that we had a broken immigration system, but I really didn't know what was going on at the border. I didn't know anything about any of the wall that was down there. Um, I didn't know how many people came over illegally. I didn't know how many legal immigrants we had. I mean, I didn't know anything about about it. So I didn't know anything about it. So I, of course, was outraged when I heard about it in the Trump administration because I thought it was a horrible practice. And I know there would have been a lot of uh, conservatives if I had posted a lot on it, about it on social media, who would have said, well, yeah, um, you know, they would have said, well, why didn't you care under Barack Obama that they were doing this? Well, in all honesty, I was ignorant. I didn't know that Barack Obama was doing it, or I would have been outraged when Barack Obama done it, would, did it. I just think it's a bad policy. And it's just inhumane, I think. Um, you know. So anyway, we won't get into that. But the point is, now... Joe Biden has built some new cages, you know, to put the kids in. And 
The media is referring to them as migrant detention centers. They are no longer referring to them as cages. So it makes it more appealing. It makes it more palpable to the public. And I just, I, this just bothers me. It really bothers me that the outrage that they had under Trump, that this was a war crime. This was inhumane. This, I mean, they went down the list of all of how, I can't even remember all the terms they used, but basically that, that they, that, that, um, with the exception of, of having them executed, that Donald Trump was treating these kids worse than Hitler treated kids in concentration camps. You know, like I said, other than gassing them to death, but at least in the concentration camps, they were given food and clothes and, and, and sanitation. And, but, you know, Trump wasn't even giving them that. I mean, they just ripped Trump apart for it. And, uh, and to some degree, I would say rightfully so, because I did not agree with the policy. I thought it was an outrageous policy, and I thought the more attention is drawn to it, the more likely it'll get changed. But it just bothers me that it was suddenly dropped. Now that a Democrat is in office again, suddenly, you know, this is like a summer camp for these kids. You know, this is wonderful. These kids are being treated better in these migrant detention centers than they would at home. They're actually getting, you know, all of these, um, you know, all of these great benefits. It's wonderful. It, it just aggravates me that 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 he's getting a pass. And of course, I, I think I mentioned earlier, and I need to I need to correct myself when I said when I said that they weren't being given food and water and things. Trump wasn't giving them food and water and clothing. I was I was speaking as the Democratic press. I was not. I was not claiming myself that Trump wasn't was withholding food and water and clothing. This is what they claimed. And that's why in Nazi Germany, the kids were being treated better in the concentration camps. So I, I don't want you to misunderstand and think that I'm saying that Trump was withholding food from these kids or anything like that. Um, but the double standard has always bothered me, but it really bothers me when it affects people like, you know, it's one thing to have a double standard if, I mean, it still bothers me, but we'll say that if, uh, you know, Trump wanted to raise taxes for something and, and they claimed that he was horrific and horrible, you know, hurting the taxpayers because they are already strained enough. And then, and then Biden comes in and he raises taxes and everyone says that's an act of patriotism. That would bother me. But it's just totally different. I mean, this is, I, I just think it's an inhumane practice and uh, Biden and Harris and other prominent Democrats complained and made such a big deal about, about the situation at the border. And then to have them take office and then just continue the policies that they attacked as racist and xenophobic and basically a war crime. Now they're continuing them, but, you know, but I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose if they put hearts on the, on the cages and maybe an LGBTQ flag, maybe that'll make it okay because, you know, maybe a Black Lives Matter, they can stick a poster on there and that makes it okay to have the kids in the cages because they're woke. You know, at least, at least they're being caged by people who love black people, or at least 
you know, they're being caged by people who support transgender rights, you know, as opposed to Trump, who didn't support any of those things. I mean, if you're going to put kids in cages, you might as well, you know, put hearts on there and, and trans flags and all this other stuff, I suppose. That makes it okay because because Biden's on the right right side of uh, of their political of the political spectrum, but I still think it's abhorrent, and I think the policy should be changed. And I just can't believe that more people aren't outraged over it. Why, you know? And it just goes to show you the power of the media too. Like I said, I mean, they changed the wording from kids in cages to migrant detention centers. They're really exactly the same thing. They're not. They're not any different. The kids are still in cages. Now, true, the cages are large. I'm not. You know, it's. It's. I'm not. I'm not saying they're kept in like dog cages or something. You know, they are. They're relatively large. But the point is that the media had to change it because when they used phrases like "kids in cages," it angered people. It. It. It had a visceral reaction where people were like. That is just abhorrent. Putting a kid in a cage is inhumane. That's what you do to animals. That's what you, you know. Um, but by calling it a migrant detention center, well, that takes the edge off. It sounds, it, it sounds very professional. It sounds very clean. It's a nice, good facility. Just a migrant detention center. You're just setting them in there until we can figure out what to do with them. So it, it just goes to show how the media can wrap a headline to get you to think the way they want you to think or to react the way they want you to react. So, you know, it's something you need to watch. You need to be very careful when you read a headline not to have a visceral reaction as soon as you see it. You've got to read the article and you've got to read between the lines, unfortunately, with the mainstream press. You've got to figure out what aren't they telling me just as much as what are they telling me. So you just have to read through it and if you know they're manipulating you and you and you can usually tell because they give one side of the story and they use those kind of phrases um cruel you know like if they use words that you know are meant to editorialize like this is a cruel uh policy or um you know they use the word lies uh you know uh, among republicans republicans lie Democrats misstate occasionally. Um, they make a mistake or they misstate something. Um, or sometimes it's alternative facts. I mean, they don't usually use that term, but like they're just a little wrong on details. But basically what they're saying is absolutely correct. Um, but Republicans, if you, if you look at some of them, the Republicans lie. The Republicans are spread falsehoods and lies and you know so you can usually tell as you're reading it and in some cases you just have to throw it away i mean just get out of the article um if i have time what i tend to do now of course not all of us have that much time and i don't always have this much time but if it's like a lazy day like on a sunday or something where i'm not really doing a whole lot um i might Google that topic, like if it says kids in cages, hypothetically, I might Google kids in cages and then look at different news stories and and uh, and they'll and and by reading several different stories, like I might read from Fox News and then you know I might look at like the Intercept or you know 
something from Britain, like the BBC News, even though they, you know they they have some struggles. But but you know, but the the point is, sometimes if you read about it from other countries, they give you a different perspective because they aren't Republican or Democrat. Um, you know, and they're they might have an agenda, but their agenda isn't to push a political belief. It you know, um. So, you know, you might look at Kids in Cages and then, you know, you might read conservative, and this is after you've read the liberal one, read a conservative one. They'll give you the alternative view, you know, where they'll explain why the Republicans are doing this. And it may or may not be right. I'm not, I mean, it may or may not be good what they're doing. I'm not, I'm not saying that always, if you read the Republican point of view, you'll come away saying, oh, okay, what they're doing isn't that bad because Republicans can be just as bad. I mean, you know, they have bad policies too. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it's going to change your opinion, but it'll give you a different perspective. So you can understand, oh, I understand why they're doing it. I don't necessarily agree with what they're doing, but I understand why they were doing it. Um, you know, and where the liberal one won't tell you why, it's just that they're inhumane, cruel human beings, you know, and, but, you know, Conservative might give you another point of view, and sometimes with some of the different um, non-political articles you find in other countries, they just give you an objective perspective because they don't have any dog in the fight, so they'll just lay it out flatly. This is what is going on. This is what the Republicans claim. This is what the Democrats claim, and you know this is why this policy is continuing. Um, but you can't always do that. But if you have time, you know, do a little research on the topic. And then, you know, you can come away with an understanding. For example, I know that the idea of the kids in cages under Trump was to make it somewhat cruel. I mean, they weren't cruel to the point of, you know, like I say, starving kids. But I know that the idea was to be a deterrent to so that uh, parents who wanted to bring their kids over the border or parents who wanted to send their kids ahead of them over the border with someone else would think twice about that because I don't want my kids to be put in these cages and ripped away. You know, I would rather them stay here in Mexico than be put in these cages, in these detention centers, and not be around any family, any friends. They're just, you know, pretty much, you know, these cold cages. So I understand. I don't really agree with with that policy, but I understand that it wasn't that Donald Trump hated kids and Donald Trump wanted kids to die. Um, there was a, a method to what they were trying to do. They were trying to make it so undesirable that you would quit trying to sneak your kids and other people's kids or, or you know, um, parents wouldn't send their kids with other people to go over the border because – it would be worse for the kids to be over there in these detention centers or in these cages than it would be to stay in Mexico and legally come over the border. There was a reason, but you wouldn't know that if you just read the liberal idea. It's just that these people are cruel, they're inhumane, they're monsters, they they hate children, they hate people, and uh, that's not, you know. So by reading different section, uh, reading different articles. I came to understand why the policy was put into place. It, it didn't necessarily change my view of the policy, but 
I understand now why they were doing it. And it helps me if I was making the argument against somebody who supported it. So why I think it's a bad idea because now I know where they're coming from. That this is the reason why they were doing it, and there, and, you know, and like there could be other ways that we can find to uh, deter people from coming over, rather than locking kids up who didn't do anything wrong, who were just brought here by their parents or or by somebody else because they wanted, you know, they wanted their kids to have a better life. So that's that's my point. Is if you have time. You know, read some other articles, try to get a bigger idea, figure out both sides of the story. You know, if, um, you know, what is what is the liberal slant? What is the conservative slant? The truth will be somewhere in between. Uh, for the most part, I mean, sometimes the truth is pretty obvious, but sometimes the truth is kind of in the middle. Like there is some truth to what the liberals are saying and there's a little bit of truth. I mean, there's a little bit of truth to what the liberals are saying and there's some truth to what the conservatives are saying. You know, and you kind of find a balance between the two, but sometimes it's real obvious that the liberals are just making stuff up and the conservatives maybe aren't telling the 100 percent truth, but they're telling more of the truth. Um, but if you don't have time to go through that, just throw out those articles. Don't even bother reading them if if you start seeing fiery, excitable language in, um, you know, because those are editorials, words like cruel policies and things like that, that should be kept for quotations. If somebody says, you know, I think this policy is cruel, that's acceptable. But the person writing the article should not be editorializing. They shouldn't be telling us that the policy on the border is cruel or the policy on the border is great. They should be objective and just telling us what the policy on the border is, and then we can decide for ourselves whether it's cruel or whether it's acceptable. But so often in the article, they will tell you, what to think. You know, this policy by Donald Trump is cruel and inhumane. Um, or this policy by Joe Biden is keeping America safe. That's, you know, that's not their place. So anyway, um, speaking, I mean, speaking about Joe Biden and these uh, things, uh, Neera Tandon, you might have heard of her. She's, I think she's a nominee for the Office of Management and Budget, but I'm not 100% positive what She's what she's been nominated for, but her, she's in a lot of trouble up on Capitol Hill, a lot of trouble because of tweets that she put out. Um, and these, you know, there they were tweets. Uh, she at one point said that a vampire has more blood in his veins than Ted Cruz. And, you know, she had a lot of really rude things to say about Mitch McConnell and Susan Collins and different Republicans. And of course, so now she relies on these people. She needs these people to get her nominated. You know, they need to vote for her since it's only a 50, 50 Senate. Um, you know, she's got to keep every Democrat or not. She doesn't have to, but they have, the Democrats have to keep every Democrat on board. If they had like 60 or 70 seat majority, then they wouldn't care. They just push her through. But Right now, because everything's so polarized in the Senate, you know, she's got to walk a very fine line here and not offend anybody. And it's just it, it, it's just a new way that we have to start thinking about things. I mean, I remember even 10 years ago, them talk, you know, people telling us not to post things on Facebook that you don't want other people to know, like you don't want future employers to know. 
because you were seeing people not hiring potential uh, employees because they'd look at their social media and, you know, and they would read and see things, you know, see drug use, see stuff like that. And then they would say, well, I'm not hiring you. Um, so, you know, they had that adage of don't post anything on there that you don't want other people to know. You don't want future employees, employers to know. And now we're starting to see the same thing come about on Twitter, that people are starting to be held accountable for the tweets that they've written in the past. Of course, this isn't a brand new thing. We all know of the cancel culture where they will go through your old tweets and find something. But that typically didn't happen with government. Typically, government kind of um, excused that behavior. You know, we haven't really had anybody who's been held accountable for their tweets on a public level. You have it like movie stars and things like that who get in trouble. But, you know, Donald Trump tweeted a lot and he got attacked. But, well, until the end when they canceled him, when they uh, banned him, I mean. So I guess, I guess, I guess you do, you do have some, you know, I guess that does count as him being held accountable. But, but, um, yeah, it's just something interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon that I wonder how many of us are going to be fit to run for office in 10 or 15 years because, um, I mean, I suppose, I mean, there are a lot of people who don't use social media, so I guess, but, um, but there's so many people that use Twitter now or social media in general that it's going to be hard to find people who, um, are perfectly clean with all their Twitter. I mean, it reminds me of um, a guy named Bork. His last name was Bork. I can't remember what his first name is. Robert or so, I don't know. Rob, uh, Bork anyway. And he was, uh, he had worked in the Nixon administration. And he was up to be a nominee for the Supreme Court back in the 80s when Reagan was president. I don't remember what year it was or who had retired or who ended up getting the seat. But, uh, uh, I might be wrong about Bork. Bork, it might have been because of his things at Nixon that he wasn't nominated. Anyway, there was somebody. I'll just, I'll just move on. There was a person who was up for being a Supreme Court nominee and it turned out and it seems like it was the 80s. And it turned out they had smoked a marijuana joint in college one time. And they were disqualified because that was um, not worthy. Uh, you know, it showed poor judgment and all that. And my point was to say that so many people, uh, young people, have smoked weed either in high school or in college. They might not be potheads. They might not have done it continuously. But, you know, so many of them have tried a joint once or, you know, at a party or something or tried ecstasy once or, or tried LSD or something. You know, maybe didn't like it, never did it again. So now that's not a disqualifying thing anymore. It's not even asked anymore. Have you ever tried drugs in your life? Because... If they disqualified everybody who tried drugs, we would 
end up with a dictatorship pretty much because we'd only find one or two people who would be qualified to run for office. And that's kind of how I feel at some point that they're probably going to have to get over this whole your former tweets because at some point who's going to be qualified if everybody has ridiculous and embarrassing tweets in their past that could be misconstrued later. Um, anyway, it, in the 1800s, um, a political boss named Martin Lomansny um, had this rule for his politicians. Now, let me just really throw in there real quick. A political boss, it's something that we don't really have anymore. And that's where uh, a person, particularly in a big city like Chicago or Boston or New York, especially um, those cities, um, would control the party. They were always rich, and they w they didn't have primaries back then. You were appointed by the party. And so a political boss would run, like in Boston, the political boss, that's where this Martin Lemansing was, he would run Boston politics. So if he was, and it doesn't say, I don't know if he was a Republican or Democrat, but let's say he was a Democrat, he would control Democratic politics. If you wanted anything done, you would talk to Mr. Lomasny. And Lomasny would, you know, when there was an opening on the, on the uh, Senate, he would decide who's going to be the nominee on, for the party. He would decide who's going to be the nominee, you know, and uh, of course they have the political bosses, the ones in New York are extremely popular. And in the late 1800s, you would see a lot of uh, presidents who got the nomination because of the political bosses. And of course, you were expected to vote the way the political boss wanted you to. So, um, I mean, that's a whole different story. It's kind of interesting when you see it. But, um, but he would tell his politicians, you know, and I say his politicians, he said, Never write if you can speak, never speak if you can nod, and never nod if you can wink. The idea was that you don't want to say or do anything that can be used against you. So if you can say something verbally, that's better than writing it down because then there's a paper trail. But if you can just nod and not say anything, that's better than speaking. Just kind of a slow nod, you know, and you both understand what you're talking about. Um, but hey, but people can still see you both nodding. So, you know, if you can get away with a wink instead of a nod, that's the best, you know. So it, it's interesting that they've always kind of had that problem with people saying and doing things. But this is probably a good rule of thumb if you're going to be getting into politics. Um Unless, unless you just want to be a bombastic, and I guess this is kind of shady. Uh, now that I think about it, sorry to say it's a good rule to get into politics. It's a good rule if you want, maybe, to get elected. I guess you know, but um, it's probably not. It's probably kind of a shady thing. But anyway, I just, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, probably has no value whatsoever. Um, tomorrow, or. I don't know when you listen to this, but this week, I'll just say, um, Michigan Michigan Elections Board is going to have a meeting uh, to consider the form to form 
considering the form of a petition to form the Patriot Party, a new political party in Michigan. I don't have any details about it. I wouldn't mind joining it if the party, because I'm not a big fan of the Republican or the Democratic Party. In fact, I, I hate the idea, the stranglehold. We already talked about party politics and party bosses. Really, we still have kind of party bosses, except we do primary elections now instead of the party bosses just choosing. But still, the party decides how you vote. The party decides all these things, and, and you have to couch out of the party if you want to retain your seat. So we still kind of have party bosses. It's just usually not one individual. It's like a committee of individuals. But you know, So I don't really like them, but you know, I'd have to see what the party positions are. If it's just a Donald Trump party, well, then no, I'm not. I'm not joining a cult. I'm not going to support one person. I support ideas. And if it's just a Donald Trump party, well, then first of all, don't call it the Patriot Party. Call it the Trump Party. Um, but number two, that just seems like a cult or a, uh, a dictatorship. It's total tyranny that we're just going to support a person regardless of what their views are, well, that's just stupid. And I don't think – if that's what the party is, I don't think it should be allowed because I think it's unconstitutional to have a party that's built around one person instead of a party built around an ideal um, or a set of ideas. Um, but anyway, I'd have to check in to see what the Patriot Party is. But anyway, that's interesting to see if that, if that happens. Um, a uh, couple of other stories here. Wood TV8 has this story. Um, and this is a, a Michigan Olympic, Olympic gymnastic coach charged with human trafficking and sexual assault. This is all coming out of that scandal that happened a few years ago with, I think, Larry Nesser out of the, was it the University of Michigan. I think so. And this is, there was an investigation of that, and I guess he had some ties with this guy. But here it says, mid-Michigan native and 2012 USA Olympic coach John Geddert is facing multiple charges, including, wow, 20 counts of human trafficking, two counts of criminal sexual assault, lying to a peace officer, and racketeering. Oh, my goodness. Those charges were filed this morning in the Eaton County District Court. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel is holding a news conference on Thursday afternoon to announce the results of a criminal investigation in the Lansing area. Um, the Attorney General will be joined by Chief Deputy Attorney General Christina Grossi, Acting Division Chief Danielle Hageman-Clark, Criminal Trials and Appeals Division, and Assistant uh, Attorney General Danielle Russo-Bennett. Geddert ran Twistars Gymnastics Club for many years and coached the USA gymnastics team to a gold medal in 2012. The Fierce Five, as they were called, which included DeWitt native Jordan Weaver, won the team competition at the London Olympics. But Geddert's reputation later came under fire because of his association with Larry Nasser, a doctor who was accused of sexually abusing hundreds of young women, almost all of them athletes, during his career. Nasser was the Olympic team's doctor in 2012. Weber and several other members of the Fierce Five accused Nasser of molesting them. One of them, Michaela Maroney, says she told Geddert back in 2011 that Nasser 
had abused her, but that Gethert didn't take any action. Nasser pleaded guilty to sexual assault charges in Ingham and Eaton counties. Uh, Twistars was based in Eaton County, and Nasser was accused of abusing some women and girls there, as well as federal child pornography charges. Nasser is serving 60 years on the child porn charges at a high security federal prison in Florida with a scheduled release date of 2068. Oh my gosh. Um, I'll be like 90 years old or something. Um, if the 57 year old survives that sentence, he could face more than 100 years in a Michigan prison. Gettert has been under investigation for years, first by lo local and state officials, and later by the Michigan Attorney General who took over the case two years ago. Police launched an investigation into Gettert shortly after Nasser's sentencing, in which some of the Nasser survivors accused Gettert of being physically and emotionally abusive. Uh, uh, and they go on about how, you know, how he used to train, which has nothing to do with the sexual assault. Just, you know, that he did some training that wasn't considered, was considered cheating or something. I don't know. I think they're just, at this point, they're just trying to run down his reputation. And that has nothing to do with the issue at hand of whether he was involved in molesting girls. Um, but that's just, that's horrible. I can't, uh, that's a lot of charges. I don't, um, although one thing you have to remember, and this is, this is important to remember, is that many times state and federal um, uh, governments or uh, uh, courts or whatever, I don't know, whatever you call it, um, the prosecutors will uh, will give will will uh, charge you with a series of crimes, large crimes, um, and then with the goal that you'll plead you'll plead guilty so you can plead down the charges. So it's 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 a it's a matter of applying pressure on you because look you could be facing all of these charges like here twenty counts of human trafficking and two counts of sexual assault and racketeering and you know you have all these counts uh, before you and then they'll say but if you plead guilty we'll knock off the uh, we'll knock off one count of the criminal sexual conduct we'll only charge you with five counts of the human trafficking. And maybe lying to the police officer, you know, if you plead guilty. Otherwise, you could be facing a thousand years in jail. This way, you've only got fifty years. There's a chance you could still get out. You know. Um, so, my point is, even though he's been charged with all of these, and it sounds overwhelming, that could be the purpose: is to overwhelm him and his family, so his, you know, his family will beg him, please cut a deal, cut some kind of a deal, or the other option is, I mean, that's definitely one of the things, but another reason why they do that is if they via some Confederates out there and they want to get more names, we will drop some of these things if you give us some other people. Tell us who else was involved. Tell us who else knew about this. You know, um, you know, so sometimes that's also the case. But so I know it sounds like he's been charged with a lot, but he probably won't be convicted of all that. And in fact, probably are doing this specifically to scare him either into confessing or into giving up anybody else who was involved and probably both. 
So you just have to remember that when you read these things, it always sounds like it always sounds worse when you just read the charges than they actually will be when they go to court. Um, this next article is from the Federalist. I thought it was a little interesting, um, and it uh, it's uh, I don't see the date it was put out, but anyway. Oh, it's put out the 25th of February. Okay. Okay. And the uh, article reads Michigan, or the headline reads Michigan Tech Professor Denounces School Systematic Racism Training. The cancel mob wants them fired. As you can tell, this is a conservative. But I think he's totally right on, right on with this. As reported by the New Guard, a professor at Michigan Technological University is receiving threats from the woke campus mob and calls for his resignation or termination to, due to his dis disavowal of the institution's December resolution that instructs all faculty to denounce systemic racism. The resolution put forth by the university Senate demands that all students receive systematic racism training prior to being able to obtain their bachelor's degree and that all faculty and staff must denounce a wide variety of forms of discrimination. This is a quote from the thing. Michigan Technological University has taken an aggressive stance in response to the global coronavirus pandemic. But unfortunately, little action has been taken to address the national racism endemic and on an ongoing white supremacist discourse present in our community and on our campus. In this galvanizing moment, the University Senate seeks to take leadership and to offer collaboration to art, art, articulate the condemnation of racism and white supremacy as administrative and academic units have remained silent. Um, members of the executive committee of the university Senate and the committee for promoting equality and understanding <coughs> stand together to offer Senate resolution 4121 embodying university values, condemning hate speech, white supremacy and ethnically and racially motivated intolerance. She noticed I could barely even get through that without hacking. Um, <clears throat> sub subsequent pages of the proposed resolution offer that anti-blackness and systematic racism have caused police brutality, the wealth gap, and the lack of African-Americans in positions of power and are the core to our national history. Jeffrey B. Burrell, who received his Master of Science and PhD in Electrical Engineering at the University of California, Irvine, wrote a letter in response to the Senate in which he described the school's affirmative action efforts as, quote, biased against white males, unquote. Burl uh, railed against the training aimed at reinforcing the erroneous notion that, quote, all white people are racist, end quote, as well as the bastardization of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream of equality. Women and people of color should be encouraged and given fair access and opportunity. Burrell wrote in his letter, but once someone goes to college, uh, white males are systematically discriminated against both at Michigan Tech and in the nation at large. I believe that anyone who is open-minded and honest will agree with this assertion. Um, so in response to the professor's condemnation of the Senate resolution, he has been the subject of leftist calls on social media for his termination. Many of these people are seemingly not even affiliated with the university, 
just merely joining the court, the cancel culture mob to ruin yet another life unabiding by the prevailing orthodoxy. Oh my goodness. Weird. Um, so the article goes on. If you'd like to read it, it's in the Federalist. And it just came out this week, so it should be there for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm just about over in my time. So just want to thank you all for listening and hope you have a great week. And uh, we'll see you back here next time. Bye.